Hello, hello, and welcome to Risk and Reward, where the best in the insurance industry come to motivate and educate the future leaders in insurance. I'm Claire Richardson, a senior studying risk management and insurance at the wonderful Butler University, where I'm also the president of the Beta Lambda chapter of Gamma Yota Sigma. Today, I am joined by Tim Kennessy, president and chief executive officer at MedPro Group, the nation's leading provider of healthcare liability coverage and risk solutions. Prior to Tim's current 21-year tenure at MedPro, Tim worked for KPMG, General Electric, and Sidley Austin. Tim also stays involved by serving on the boards of Fetchenheimer Brothers, Kraft Heinz Company, and is the chairman and co-founder of Fort 4 Fitness. Thanks for joining us today, Tim. Good to be here, Claire. Awesome. Well, we always love to get to know our guests, and one way of doing that is getting to understand a little bit about how you got into insurance. So how did you get into insurance, Tim? Well, I think uh, like many people, uh, it was a bit of an accident, and um, I guess I would back up and say um, I grew up in Chicago. I went to undergrad at Notre Dame and uh, got my CPA practice for a couple of years. Then I went to um, law school and became a mergers and acquisitions attorney and uh, practiced in Chicago. And one of my big clients was GE. And um, I bounced around, uh, got transferred to a few locations while at GE. And one of them happened to be an insurance company. And so that's how I wound up at uh, MedPro, where I where I am now and have been the CEO for 21 years. It was really an accident, Claire. So, Tim, that story is like a lot of people in insurance, and I'm happy that you found your way into insurance by falling into it. Um, could you describe a little bit about your current role at MedPro Group? Well, I've been the... So my, my intro to insurance was, uh, interestingly enough, as CEO. And so um, I started as the CEO of MedPro in 2001. We were owned by GE at the time, and uh, they had purchased MedPro in 1998. So uh, after about seven years, GE decided they wanted to get out of the insurance business, and they sold the business to Berkshire Hathaway. And my role throughout those those five years of uh, GE ownership and the last 16 at Berkshire has been uh, in some ways the same. I've been the CEO the whole time, but as uh, Berkshire has allowed us to expand and grow, we have taken the opportunity to expand and grow. And so we, we kind of started as a, for 99 years, we're a family business, and then we uh, moved into the GE ownership phase. But uh, with Berkshire now, we've been able to grow. So I would say that my role as uh, CEO of MedPro has in some ways been the same, but in many ways evolved to um, support this growth that we've been able to uh, achieve. So this growth has really led MedPro to being one of the nation's largest healthcare liability insurance companies. What is the company doing to innovate for the future? and continue this growth and also attracting top talent for the company? Well, Claire, the first thing I'd say is for many, many years, to be dramatic, maybe for a century, MedPro took care of mostly individual physicians. And medicine used to be practiced in many ways by uh, entrepreneurs. You didn't think of your doctor as an entrepreneur, but they were, for the most part, uh, small businesses. And MedPro did a good job and still does a, a good job 
we would say, one of the best jobs at taking care of those practitioners. But as medicine changed and as these small practitioners started to get into bigger and bigger groups and, and then join hospital systems, and then as hospital systems started to acquire other hospitals uh, and grow, medicine in some ways became more corporatized, if you will. And so MedPro needed to evolve with uh, our customers. And so today, three quarters of our business is uh, still protecting healthcare practitioners in the U.S. Uh, of all shapes and sizes, including dentists, including cancer treatment centers and dialysis centers, and all the way up to the big hospital systems. So, so we go from co we like to say we go from coast to coast and wing to wing, meaning all kinds of healthcare liability. That makes up about three quarters of our two billion dollars of premium. The other one quarter is what we would say um, growth uh, opportunities. Uh, we take care of uh, attorneys with professional liability. We take care of students for health insurance, not liability insurance, but actual health insurance. And then we've got an international operation. So if you bring all that together, Claire, I think what we try to do was go from a company that handles uh, small practitioners on a regional U.S. business to a company that can handle all healthcare providers on a national business, national level, and at the same time finding a few other areas to grow, whether it be lawyers or student health or internationally. And I think if you if you have a company that has integrity as its bedrock, as its foundation, and then you layer on top of that a commitment to customers and a commitment to meeting their changing needs and a commitment to having really good teamwork and very high level, uh, high bar for performance. I think that that translates into an attractive place uh, for prospective employees to join because you know you're getting a foundation of integrity and you know you're getting the opportunity to grow with your customers and to find new customers. So that's what. Uh, why well, I think we've been able to attract and retain terrific employees. That's awesome. Thank you. You alluded to a little bit about how medicine's changing, and especially during these days of the pandemic, medicine is evolving rapidly. So how has COVID impacted the medical malpractice portion of the insurance industry? And really, how does the industry move forward in the future with these uh, variables? Well, I think that the first thing is just like in the auto industry where people weren't going to work and they weren't driving as much and you saw the 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 actual miles driven drop significantly. So too did patients decide that they weren't going to go to the dentist or they weren't going to get the elective surgery or maybe they were even afraid to go get a checkup or go get a follow-up. Um and so you saw a decline in the amount of healthcare consumption, just like you did in, in other aspects of life. Courts also closed down. And so lawsuits that were about to be tried before juries stopped. And all of the related settlements that sometimes are driven by, uh, you know, the, on the eve of the trial also slowed or stopped. And so you had a slowdown. And it was real, and you can see it in the in the numbers. 
at the same time, you see a flood, not necessarily of lawsuits, but a flood of incidents because of COVID deaths or COVID um, exposure. And so uh, hospital systems and, and nursing homes that, of course, we read all about are saying, hey, uh, be on notice that we had three patients that passed away or six patients that got uh, COVID. And those incidents haven't translated into lawsuits, but perhaps uh, they they could. At the same time, there's um, immunity that uh, many uh, jurisdictions across the country passed limited immunity for for COVID related healthcare claims. So I'm I know I'm throwing a fire hose of info at you, but the way I would perhaps simply distill it is there was a what we think a short term pause because the world paused around us. There was a concern about COVID uh, deaths and and potential claims about of malpractice that hasn't been fully um, carried through. And over the next couple of years, we're going to see how it all shakes out. In the meantime, here's, the, here's the, the important point that I probably should have started with. In the meantime, the exciting thing about our industry, our business, is that our customers, our uh, physicians and physician assistants and nurses and hospitals and facilities, they all rallied to help save millions of lives. And I don't think our team has ever been more proud to be a company that defends the assets and reputations of those customers, the healthcare providers that were out on the front line saving lives. Yeah, that, that's awesome. And being able to support those individuals who are continuing to support our nation, really, and world. So you talked a little bit about settlements and how before the pandemic, there were a bunch of settlements that were possibly getting ready to go to trial or get that um, 11th hour possible settlement cash amount. So social inflation has impacted medical malpractice insurance in recent years with nuclear verdicts and many other catalysts. What cycle of the insurance market is the medical malpractice portion of it currently in and how will it change in the future? Yeah, first thing I would say is you know, there's an expression, a term in insurance, a short tail business or a long tail business. A short tail insurance business means that you pretty much get a sense for how uh, things are going in a in a couple of years, a few years. Uh, long tail, though, takes quite a while and it can take five, six, seven uh, years. And think about the the obstetrician that we today insure and or the hospital that's going to deliver a baby today. As a technical matter, you know that um, that child, until they become a an adult, could conceivably sue for the delivery that takes place today up to eighteen or twenty one years from now, and that is an extreme example of what it means to be a long tail uh, insurance line. And because we're a long tail insurance line, we have to take a longer term view of losses. And we cannot assume that today's losses are going to be the same costs 18 years from now. And so our actuaries model in severity inflation according to all sorts of methods, but they tend to look at things a bit on the longer term than on the shorter term. As a result, 
I think that we are, while not immune from uh, social inflation and severity, in fact, it's very, very real, we, I, I think, assumed and always have assumed a conservative posture when it comes to our uh, reserving. And so the first point, I think, Claire, is that we've got a pretty conservative approach toward um, our actuarial uh, methods that, that look at things a bit longer term and that, frankly, look at things uh, assuming that there is going to be severity. Now, with that said, if you know you could have assumed that severity would increase, let's just say, for example, uh, 4% a year, but you wind up with a spike that you say to yourself, that looks like more than a blip, that looks like perhaps a step change, uh, then you need to say, maybe our actuarial assumptions should be changed to 5% or, or 6%. And maybe that is a better longer term uh, approach. And I would say that there is little doubt that when it comes to casualty business in America in, at the high level, or down to healthcare liability insurance in America, that there has been a bit of a step change. And again, we're positioned, I think, well for that because we never took the glass half full view. But we do need to make sure that we're getting appropriate rate to reflect that step change, which is what we've been doing for the last few years. So I think it's a combination of making sure that that your foundation of pricing and underwriting and really reserving is conservative and that um, doesn't take good news immediately or too quickly, but rather takes a conservative longer term view and the ability to react with underwriting um, terms and conditions, limit changes or and or rate that has positioned us, I think, pretty well to deal with this this severity that we think is uh, real and the social inflation that we think is real. Yeah, that's definitely something that we're learning in school here at Butler and, and understanding more is obviously the world's changing and then, and then these settlements are coming in and, and looking at case law and fun stuff like that. So Butler and MedPro have a very unique relationship. So would you be able to elaborate on the relationship between Butler's Davy Program for Risk and Insurance and MedPro? Well, I think um, that I think it actually goes back. So MedPro started in 1899, and about uh, so we've been around for 121 years. And Mr. Davy came along about halfway through uh, the the last century. So I think you know right after World War II, he graduated uh, from Butler and um, became ultimately the commissioner of insurance, I, I believe, for the state of Indiana. So his first 10 years were were in public service. But then the next 25 years of his career were at MedPro, where he ascended the ranks and ultimately became the president. And I think he, in it was either the late 70s, early uh, 80s, before he died, he endowed uh, some money to Butler that became uh, the program that we're talking about. And so I think that, you know, it's, it's a wonderful, I, I would even say visionary uh, view uh, that he had because there weren't too many people talking about insurance and risk management as a discipline um, within a business school or within a university. 
now there are more schools. There still aren't enough, but I think um, my guess is that Butler was uh, at the at the forefront of that, and I think uh, Mr. Davy is to to be thanked for uh, supporting that. And then since that time, over the years, we have attracted some terrific employees from Butler, and we typically have a couple uh, interns and. You know, uh, there's one of our, I think we have two officers that are from Butler and we've got uh, another half dozen or so employees. So it's been a terrific partnership over the years that I think, you know, it's a couple hours in the car, but I think more importantly than that, it was the vision that Mr. Davey and one of the folks in Butler had, uh, you know, decades and decades ago. Mr. Davey was a great example of an amazing leader. So yep. from your experience, what do you believe makes a good leader? Well, I've been fortunate to work with some great leaders, and I think uh, the the best is uh, is Mr. Buffett. And he starts off by saying that integrity is the most important thing. Integrity is by far the most important thing in any uh, leader, and any employee. Then you, you need to have energy. And, you know, I, I think you have to, for, to make it simple, you need to work hard. You know, when, when you are a new employee or you're building your career, or, or even if you've been around for a long time like me, you want to be known as a hard worker. You want to be known as somebody that can, uh, that your teammates can count on and that your bosses, your managers can count on you. And, I think as a leader, you have to demonstrate that. So, you know, if your car isn't the first one in the in the parking lot and the last one to leave, then it maybe should be at least the first one in and maybe you leave a little early or the last one to leave and you come in a little bit late. But you've got to be shown as somebody that has the energy and set by example. So you start with integrity, you add energy, and then you have to have intellect. You You don't need to be the smartest. Uh, guy or gal in the room, but you have to be proficient and and you have to be willing to say, I don't know, but I'm going to try to figure out what I do need to know so that I can ask the right question and get the right answer. And so I think if you combined integrity, energy, and intellect, that's what makes a, a, a good employee. And I think that's what makes a good leader too. I think the, especially for uh, leadership, I think you also need to be authentic. I think you you need to people can spot a, a fake, people can spot somebody that's not comfortable in their own skin, and you don't need to be uh necessarily dynamic or you don't need to be uh something that you're not, but you need to be authentic, and part of that authenticity, I think, supports good communication. Because ultimately, as a leader, uh you have to Make sure that you are communicating the vision, you're communicating the progress, you're communicating whether we uh, executed on the um, the goals or not. And I don't think that you can be successful, even if you have, you have to have integrity, energy, intellect, but you also have to be authentic and communicate that vision to your, your team. I couldn't agree more. And, and you really do have a wealth of knowledge and a wealth of understanding and, and experience as well. 
So are you able to share that with any professional organizations or philanthropic organizations in your area or beyond? And if so, how have they impacted you and your career? Well, I think, um, you know, I, I was fortunate to be able to found something called Fort for Fitness, which is a, um, it started off as a half marathon, kind of, you know, a little bit of envy of the Indy Mini, which I, you're probably familiar with Claire in uh, Indianapolis, but there was a thirst for participation in Northeast Indiana for an event that would be uh, special. And we started off with a half marathon and a four mile, and then we added a kids marathon and a senior marathon. And then we added a, a cycling event in the spring and a winter event, uh, you know, running through the the Christmas lights around the holidays. Uh, we're going to add a relay this summer. So we we try to have an event every season. And it's more than just ho hosting an event. It really is trying to get people off the couch, people getting healthier, because we know that wellness uh, is such an important part of our lives. We know how it impacts the costs of running a business or you know, uh, increasing healthcare costs for our nation. So I think fitness and wellness are huge issues. And to be able to start something like that uh, and get rally the community leaders uh, was satisfying. And, you know, we've been doing that since 2008. So it's been pretty successful. We had to do it virtually last year, but we're look, looking forward to be up and uh, running again live this year. Second thing, more recently, we've we've started a HBCU, Historically Black Colleges and University partnership that we are going to, in some ways, uh, modeling after the Davy program to partner with uh, an HBCU to get off the ground um, an insurance certificate. Because all the benefits that uh, you see at Butler and the other uh, 50 or so programs, it's a great career. And I think minorities have been underrepresented in the insurance industry. And I think the more we can do to make sure that people realize that, uh, you know, you can actually find the insurance career other than by accident, in my case, by, by um, thinking about it as an undergraduate. And if you get that foundation of knowledge, as you know from uh, Butler, I think the uh, chances of success at landing a job go up exponentially, and I think the chances of building a uh, really terrific career in insurance also go up. So those are two areas that we've tried to support. Well, I have to look out for those events. Maybe I'll drive the two hours to get over there or so. Before I wrap up today, would you have any other tips for college students who are listening in today or even people who are looking to go into the insurance industry? Well, I guess I would say, and I, I can maybe answer that two-part question by bringing it all together. The first thing is you have to be doing something that you enjoy and that you have to be intellectually challenged and, uh, you know, thinking I'm learning. Now, I, I always say to students coming out of college, don't expect you to be doing backflips and loving your first job immediately. but uh, you have to be learning. You have to be saying to yourself, I'm going to be learning and I, I think I can enjoy this. So so the first thing is you got to follow something that is 
of interest to you and that's uh, causing you to grow. Now, with that said, I think most people would say, okay, well, that eliminates insurance. But the reality is that insurance is a business like things that might seem, you know, more fun or, you know, in the end, we are trying to take care of our customers and we are trying to, in our case at MedPro, protect their reputations and assets. In the case of a life insurance business, we're trying to take care of people that are that have uh, lost their lives and you know take care of the the children behind them. And you know, health insurance, we're trying to allow patients to get reimbursed for important medical needs. And in most cases, those purchases are bought year in and year out, every year. And so you have a huge industry that supports the uh, the economy. The economy doesn't move without insurance as a foundation. And if you've got such a big industry that, as we talked about at the beginning, that's oftentimes really doing good work that in, enables you know healthcare providers to save lives and takes care of uh, reimbursing patients who need healthcare and and all the other aspects if you got such a uh important industry that is really sizable you can build a really good career and you can take on challenges that you can't even imagine that are going to uh really have you as Warren Buffett says tap dance to work every day and so my advice is that you follow something that you're going to learn from and that you're going to be intellectually challenged from and that you are going to uh, think that you can enjoy and match it up with an industry that uh, is going to be big and sizable and here to stay. And if that intersection means insurance, I think it's a, it's a good choice for you. Well, thank you for joining us today, Tim. Claire, it was hap I was happy to be with you, and uh, good luck to you and all the other students that might be listening to this. Thank you, thank you. Hearing about your commitment to wellness and knowledge and, and industry insights has really been wonderful. And to all of our listeners, look out for additional content from Risk and Reward premiering soon. We will announce new episodes through our Instagram, at GIS Butler, Butler's Gamma Yoda Sigma LinkedIn page, on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and lastly, the National Alliance's website, SCIC.com. We'll see you soon.